Welcome back to all of our listeners and to us. Well, to me at least, because uh, we've had a bit of a long hiatus. I've been all over the place. Tim, you oh, haven't traveled oh, at all, have you? Well, well, I, I, went, I went to see my mom as I do yeah. uh, in, 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 in St. Louis uh, a bit in a while ago. But you've you've been the world traveling man. Well, I've been to been to New York and Rome. So for whatever that's worth, and it was uh, it was about ninety five degrees in New York when I was there, and it was ninety eight degrees in Rome, and then I was bad to, glad to come back to L A. in seventy five. Well, you, that means that that means that you 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 traveled in the pocket uh, because yeah. both of those places, New York and Rome, uh, had bizarre summers right after you left London too, for that matter. Things uh. things actually burned and. It was, I was, I was, uh, I was thinking, boy, I'd love some London weather right now when we were in Rome. And then I heard that London was 101. Yeah. And I thought, how, holy cow, how are they dealing with that? They must think the world is on fire. I mean, London, London never gets that hot. So it's been, it's been weird. Uh, Rome was wonderful. I've never been before, you know, so that was, that was amazing. That was, uh, deeply, it was deeply moving to, uh, get in touch with that much history. New York was, you know, terrific. I haven't been in New York in years. I've forgotten how great that city is. That's a great city. Yeah, New York is fine. I lived there for quite a while, was in, was in Rome and the the thing about traveling in, 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 in old Europe. Is that you can stand around places that are several thousand, uh, a couple few thousand years old. Yeah, they, I mean, I know that we have places, but we don't have civilization uh, of of uh, you know Western civilization here in America that's a couple of thousand years old. We had a, what, yeah. we had a few hundred years old. I mean, there's Native American civilization. Yeah, we're even like the old the oldest stuff that you can even find uh, from the Aztecs and the Incas is isn't even as old as you know, what you find in Greece and Rome and. You know the, the the parts of of Europe where the the, the really yeah. really where old where antiquity was you know the, the the Parthenon and all that stuff yeah that's yeah. where it really that's where the rubber meets the road and it's it's very moving and it's very humbling to stand there next to the Colosseum and look at that and you know the I, I was and it's funny Christy made fun of me too because I, I insisted that we walk over to where the Circus Maximus was there's nothing uh, there now it's just a big old long field of grass between roads where uh, they had rock concerts now. But, you know, to me, it's where they had the chariot races and Ben-Hur and all that nonsense. And uh, the tour guide was to, when was telling us, you know, the Coliseum, Coliseum, you know, could seat uh, 20,000 people. I said, how much could Circus Maximus seat? 100,000 people. Can you imagine, That's, like, uh, 2,000 years ago, 100,000 people watching Ben-Hur, just watching Charlton Heston do his thing. That's that's, that's how of, I think of it. There's a couple of Staples Centers. There's a couple of, oh. I don't know. What is that SoFi seat over there? Is that 100,000? Oh, not even close. SoFi. Yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe. Mm, wow. Maybe. It's like a, like a NASCAR stadium or something, you know? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, what, what a... Dude, like, I mean, we hate doing all these obituaries, but everybody uh, died. I mean, before we get into everybody, let's just hit a couple of things right off the top. You and I have talked about this a couple of times, talked about it on on radio, too. Uh, James Franco uh, as Castro. Your thoughts? Well, yeah, okay, so that's the thing, right? Uh, new, new, new film being made. James Franco, uh, a white male American, uh, considered for, uh, or being cast as, as Fidel Castro, a Spanish Cuban, uh, and, uh, and hero of the Latinx community. John Leguizamo went a little bit bananas, wrote his piece. Now, look, broadly speaking, uh, I, I do think that we've moved on from that. I know that we know that we've moved on from that in a whole lot of instances. We we talked about it earlier, you know, Chuck Heston and, and Mickey Rooney and, and, and all of these moments across history uh, that we know we would not do again. 
that we know we would not do again. Right. I'm not mad about them having happened, but you know, the, that the uh, Natalie Wood and, uh, and, and, uh, West Side Story, we're, we're not doing anything. We, we literally remade West Side Story, mostly so we could fix that, Steven Spielberg. Right. Um, so we know that these are things that we don't do anymore. Um, uh, and, and I don't see why this one is any different, uh, why we can't simply look at this and say, you know what? We don't do this anymore. Uh, there are, there are, there are Latinx, uh, movie stars all over the world. Uh, Diego Luna, Gael Garcia Bernal, uh, yeah, yeah, Benicio del Toro, all kinds of different derivations, uh, they, who can play that, uh, who can play that role. Uh, not to mention you can just build yourself a movie star, which, uh, we've been doing in Hollywood for, for years too. You can always just build one, you know. Uh, James They're always Franco. afraid to do that, though. They're always afraid. You know, uh, Peter O'Toole was a nobody when he was cast as Lawrence of Arabia, this but he was right point. for the part. He was right for the part. Same with Omar Sharif. Nobody knew and, who he was. You know, and, and what's nutty about this particular movie, because this movie isn't even about Fidel Castro. It's about Fidel Castro's daughter. So That's the movie right. star, the, the person who might need to be a movie star would be Castro's daughter. I think that's the name of the movie. Uh, uh, but, 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 but nevertheless, um, there are a whole bunch of different ways to get around this. Most importantly, while I do believe in artistic freedom wholly and, and, and completely, as an artist, I do know that I would want people talking about my art right now, not about the casting of James Franco. And that's what they're doing. You and I are doing it right now. If they make this movie and James Franco is in it, we're going to be doing it then. If it wins an Academy Award on the night that he takes, that he wins that Academy Award and walks away with it, people are going to be in the audience and saying, yeah, white dude. (laughs) So, And that will always be the case. And as an artist, I wouldn't want that. I'd want the center of the conversation to be my art and I would do whatever it took to move it away from this. And that won't happen if you cast that white dude. I, uh, and, you know, I come down on a little bit in between the, the goalposts. Like, I, I, I realize there are three separate conversations. There's a representation conversation, an artistic freedom conversation, and a commercial viability conversation. And that commercial viability conversation is the one that always used to undo everything. Because, you know, that's why we got Charlton Heston playing a Mexican for Orson Welles, right? Because who else was going to play a Mexican then? Well, we got a lot of Mexican actors now. So you don't need to put, you know, Charlton Heston in that ridiculous... Uh, accent so um but then you know um i when we get it when you get into the, the 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 hispanic community when you get into the latin community there are all kinds of weird ethnic issues to begin with there are, you know you go to argentines who are yes sure they're they are part of latin america but they're welsh and german and italian i mean the pope may be from argentina but he's italian you know so yeah. uh, you get play it, soccer for god's sakes so you get into this, you get into this thing like, well, what does it mean to be a Latino? Is it, is it an ethnic category or is it a, a cultural category? And, um, you know, Andy Garcia, Cuban, played an Italian-American for Coppola in Godfather 3. Um, uh, you got Javier Bardem, Spanish, played Cuban uh, Desiernes last year. My problem with that performance was he's too old. He's 20 years too old. Yeah. You know, and, and he didn't do the accent right. You know, maybe a Cuban would have done the accent right. I wouldn't have had a problem with Javier Bardem if he had been younger and did the accent right. So it's a it's a case by case thing for me because I always do. I, I want to give the artist the benefit of the doubt. You know, the case that always comes back for me is that Luis Valdez was hired to do um, uh, the story of Frida Kahlo. He was the original director on Frida. And I thought that's great because Frida Kahlo, you know, Mexican icon, 
Luis Valdez, Mexican American director. He'd done La Bamba. He's you know he'd done Zoot Suit. He knows that culture. He knows that world. He can bridge those those boundaries. And then he cast Lars Giacomo, and people lost their minds. But he felt she could do it, so I was willing to give him the benefit of the doubt. That movie wound up not happening. Valdez dropped out. They brought in Julie Taymor, who has no connection whatsoever to anything Mexican or Mexican American, uh, but she cast Salma Hayek, and everybody was okay with it. Who was the producer on that film? Who was the producer on that film? Uh, Except, you know, then I got thinking, well, Salma Hayek is also half Lebanese, and Frida Kahlo was also half German. So, you you know, I started going down those rabbit holes in my head, and that's where I just kind of go, you know what? I'm just going to trust the director. It's easy to do. It's easy to do, but 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 again, I mean, and just my last thought: that we do live here now, and we do know that there are all kinds of things we wouldn't do, uh, artistic freedom True. notwithstanding, you know. So so it 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 it, it's, it it seems to me that 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 if if it, if it evokes this sort of emotion and conversation, then it's a thing that the artist around the project should rethink. If it does not evoke it. Then apparently it's not a thing that needs to be somebody pointed out. Anna Diarmas playing Marilyn Monroe. Yeah, uh, we've we've known about that. They already made the movie. It's in the can. Nope, doesn't bother anybody. Everybody's okay. What is she's Cuban, of course, and not she looks. She looks and she and she looks the part better than anyone's ever played it. But she looks exactly like Marilyn Monroe. Uh, I, don't, I haven't I haven't really paid any attention. But she's but 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 the thing that she needs to affect is the sound of Marilyn Monroe, which is not necessarily a, a, an American sound, but a a Marilyn Monroe sound. Well, yes, and and as anyone who has studied Monroe's life and career knows, that that breathy thing that she did was an affectation. It's an affectation, yeah. Yeah. She, she created that. It was it was part of a persona. It's not how uh, Norma Jean naturally spoke. And yeah. uh, when you go back and you see her in, for example, All About Eve, when she's you know got a little cameo there, right when she was just starting out, it's not how she talked. Yeah, that, talk uh, about that about voice changes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, so uh, so 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 I think I land there. Uh, that did not uh, evoke any sort of uh, ire, Anna yeah. Diarmas, Marilyn Monroe. This has evoked evoked ire. Uh, if it evoked ire, consider the ire, artist. I would. I'd consider the ire because the, I don't want any ire. I, I'm sure that they want to be making. They're, 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 they're Castro's daughter movie, but instead they're dealing with this ire. So, you know, uh, there you go. Well, speaking of ire, Ezra Miller, uh, checking into, uh, you know, Thank brain God. rehab or whatever we're going to call it. What's, what's, what uh, your thoughts? <laughs> I, do something, Ezra. Uh, thank God, because uh, the boy's got a problem, that's for sure. Uh, I don't know what it is. I, I, I'm not a doctor, and I've never even played one on TV. But I, can, but I, but I was married to a psychiatric nurse for 35 years. Uh, my, 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 my brother Charles, uh, is, 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 is a, is a, is a, is a psychologist. Uh, and, uh, and you know, and, and I'm, and, and you hang out and I'm looking at this kid and I'm seeing problems. And, Serious uh, problems. So, so check, check into something, figure yourself the hell out. Uh, but you know, I, I gotta say this about the situation. Hollywood has been, there are certain people that Hollywood will just bend over backwards for. And for whatever reason, Hollywood decided to bend over backwards for this kid. This kid has been a been you know he's been a situation for a while now. Yeah, but they, but they throw stuff at him. They, they, he's the Flash. He's in those Fantastic Beast movies. They just throw it at him. They throw there, it at him. And, and I'll and I'll also say there are there are people who uh, I mean good agents probably, yeah. but there are also people who handle fame and notoriety and money better than others. Who who have a much firmer head on their shoulders and. 
my sense is that once uh, he was rolling in it, he, he, he got a little out of control. And um, that's when you need managers and family and friends to kind of step up and, uh, and hold a pre-intervention and say, you don't want to kill your career before it's even started. So take your points, but, yeah. make your hits. I'm, I'm with you on that, man, because I'm looking uh, as I look at this. And again, I look psychological this and, 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 and all of that, whatever people have situations and, and, and probably need to be on some sort of meds. Nine times out of 10, my little brother tells me there's, there's some sort of med that that kid needs to be on. Uh, and I, I don't know what it is, but I promise you it exists and yeah. he ain't taking it. Uh, my brother tells me and, and that's all, all fine. But I really do feel like he has two older sisters, this kid. Hmm. Uh, you know, and, and, and I know this, you've met my sister, my yeah. sister would have smacked me a long <laughs> fucking time. Ago. Yeah. Uh, yeah. My big sister would have, would have hit me up in the corner. What the fuck are you doing? Uh, what yeah. are you doing? Yeah, 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 yeah. And, 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 uh, so I, you know, his family is his family and, but I'm glad he's sorting himself out. Well, and I think Warner Brothers had, had probably the new regime of Warner Brothers had a lot to do with that. And, and do they care about him? Probably not. I'm sure they care more about the profits of the flash next summer. But uh, it tra- if it translates into doing something right for him, uh, I'm all for it. Yeah. Uh, you know, let, let's talk for a second. Kenya Barris, Wizard of Oz remake. Does that make any sense in your world? Well, as we as we said a moment ago, you know, I, look, I saw The Wiz. Also, me and Bridget saw The Wiz on stage. Stephanie Miller, 1970. Oh, no uh, Three, four. We were, we, were, we were kids. Her mother took us to New York to see. And then, of course, The Wiz. So it's not like, you know, an adaptation of The Wizard of Oz hasn't been done in the context of a sort of cultural. Uh, uh, so, so that's reinvention. It's, it's, a, it's a reinvention. Yeah, yeah that's all yeah. fine. Do we need a reinvention of the reinvention? <laughs> I'm not I'm not so sure. You know, <laughs> I, so sure. I, I was saying, you know, I, I love The Wizard of Oz. I love The Wiz. Uh, I love Kenya Barris. I, I really am very impressed by the new Warner Brothers leadership, but I don't know where this is coming from. I mean, this feels like one of those, you know, the one thing about The Wiz of the movie that didn't make sense was it was directed by Sidney Lumet. Who said, hey, that looks like a Sidney Lumet movie? That's like when Richard Attenborough did a chorus line. It's like, wait a minute, where, who, where, how did, where did that come from? And, you know, Kenya, what Kenya Barris does particularly well is kind of come at things sideways with this razor sharp uh, outside the box perspective. He just comes at things with this amazing new perspective and he's an originator. He's not an adapter. He's not one of these persons that does adaptations or musicals for that matter. So, I mean, uh, you know, you look, you look at blackish and you just, you just go, this guy's got something on his mind. I mean, it's, it's, it's new, it's innovative, it's opened. Uh, it makes me think, and I, I just I don't I don't see how that mind and this material find you know there's no Venn diagram where I see those two things overlapping. Maybe I'm wrong. I'll be the first person to admit it. But boy, it just it felt like a weird announcement to me. Yeah, well, look, um, and, and 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 we shall see what the angle is. But the angle can't simply be we're going to black it up. Yeah, we, no, did no. That, we, we did that already. <laughs> Diana Ross, who is way too old to play. That was insane. She was like 35 years old. Uh, <laughs> you enjoy that. But hey, some good old Nipsey Russell uh, yeah. back in the day. Um, but so, so, and you know, with that particular music, and so what was so, so it seems to me, so what do we black it up more? Is it hip hop now? No. Is it that? And I'm like, uh, yeah, but it's just the whiz, dude. Look, I, look, the Wizard of Oz 
the original story, the you know, yeah, all that kind of not that great. <laughs> not really a readable book. No, made made a pretty interesting movie. Uh, you know, back in nineteen thirty nine, and whenever, 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 whenever they did that, I enjoyed the Wiz. You know, in the seventies, because hey, you know, because they, they blacked it up, and 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 then I wanted to see that, and, and I had a crush on Michael Jackson and Diana Ross. <laughs> so so you know, that was great for me. But I think I'm pretty much done. I think I got all the whiz I need for the rest of my days. Uh, we've lost a lot of people. And, and just to kind of roll through these real quickly, because, I mean, these are all legends. I, some of the Olivia hit me so hard. But here's who we have lost just Olivia in the last two weeks or three weeks since we since we were on hiatus. Anne Heche in that horrible, mm-hmm. horrible accident in the aftermath. Olivia Newton-John finally to cancer. The great uh, stunt legend Gene LaBelle. Uh, the feared litigator Burt Fields, Star Trek legend Nichelle Nichols, uh, Magnum P.I.'s own uh, island Roger. hopper Roger E. Mosley, Pat Carroll, the voice of Ursula in The Little Mermaid, the great Wolfgang Peterson, director of Das Boat, and uh, so many other movies in the line yeah. of fire and on and on and on. I mean, this is just... This is this is almost the Oscar um, in memoriam montage right here. Just over the last four weeks, this has been devastating. Oh, it's a, it's just a, it's a slaughterhouse out there, man. And everybody, all you know, most of those people, um, all of those people actually live good long lives. I think everybody's had, had broke eighty, and there might have been a, a ninety or two in there. Mm-hmm. Although Roger um, uh, car accident. Yeah, he had a car accident just two days earlier, and that's what that's what just killed me. I saw I saw his. Um, I saw the announcement actually early because our friend Tina, who, you know, has known him since the seventies and they worked on, I I believe they worked on, uh, on soap operas together. So Tina was the first person to post it because, you know, she got it from the family and I saw that and I just thought, Oh my gosh, are you kidding? And that said, you know, he, it was complications from an auto accident. I got no other details, but that's just, that, that was, you know, he was, he was, uh, what a guy he was at 81. He was still doing volunteer coaching for track programs in Los Angeles. Yeah, that's a that's that's amazing. That's yeah. amazing. Giving back. So I love that. Oh, well, let's, get in, let's get into some movies. I'm going to uh, I'm going to go through a lot of Asian titles here that have uh, that have accumulated over the last little while. But there's a lot of stuff here that's really worth recommending. And I want to give a special, special recommendation. We got two films by the great current Chinese filmmaker, uh, Jia Zhang Ke. Oh, yeah. I, I, I could do the like, give my shot at the proper Mandarin pronunciation. It's like. And there's a whole thing that you do. We need Justin Justin Chang here. Justin would beat me up and a friend Alex would beat me up and I'm not going to do that. But Gia, who did uh, did the amazing A Touch of Zen, um, or not A Touch of Zen. uh, Yes, it was A Touch of Zen. It was A Touch Mm -hmm. of Zen. Um, Was it a few years ago? Was that the title? Anyway, an amazing poetic filmmaker. These are two movies, one from 2006 and one from 2010. Highly recommended both of them. Still Life uh, from 2006. Absolutely tremendous. And then um, I Wish I Knew from 2010. A little less known, but um, uh, pretty, pretty, pretty great. Um, they, you know, what he does, he's kind of a, a successor to the fifth and sixth generation filmmakers, uh, you know, Zhang Yimao and, and all those who came after him, um, in that he's not a graduate of the Shanghai Film Academy. He is, however, a, a, a stark and critical observer of Chinese society. And uh, both of these films are tremendous. I remember Still Life just absolutely floored me when I saw it. Um, kind of uh, hangs around the uh, Three Gorges Dam Hydra project, 
mm. uh, where you know an, entire communities are being uprooted and relocated because they're gonna they're you know they're gonna flood the whole area, and uh, it's really um, it's an amazing powerful metaphor. And then uh, the um, I wish I knew is uh, much more. Um, I should say a touch of sin was the movie. Touch of Zen is the King who movie. A touch yeah. of sin is the, is the genre. I get them both confused. Anyway, uh, a touch of sin was, I think his masterpiece. Um, Mountains made the part, another great film, but in, I wish I knew um, it all takes place in uh, Shanghai where you're, you're looking at all of the changes and how they're morphing. And it, it's, it's kind of a, it's a very, a disenchanted look at, uh, at at Shanghai and how it's been changing and and changing largely for the worse and uh, it's you know you have you have eighteen different people who weigh in on this and um, uh, including Hu Xiaoxian and uh, they are um, what you get is a is a is a portrait that just is not um, is not in any way reassuring it, it just isn't it's 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 kind of a depressing movie and I'm frankly surprised that this was allowed to be made, you know, uh, somehow Gia is, is just gets around the censors and does what he wants. But anyway, he is well, one of the there, great, it was a, there was a moment he could, he couldn't make it today. Yeah. You know, he's had a hard time lately. I'll admit that he's had a yeah. hard time lately. He, they, they've kind of, uh, shut down a lot. Haven't they? His, oh, his yeah. moment, his moment kind of seems to have peaked about maybe seven or eight years ago. Along, um, along with the sort of collapsing around Hong Kong, the wacky stuff that's going on around and COVID, COVID, COVID shut a lot of stuff down. Yeah. We have a whole bunch of Shaw Brothers movies here. They have just come in fast and furious. I'm going to go through tell you tell you what uh, what legendary weapons of China, absolute must. This is just such a must. This is a classic classic film. Um, uh, some of the best fight scenes you're ever going to see. Gordon Liu at his absolute very very best. Um, really one of the most entertaining films of its, of its era, Legendary Weapons of China. Uh, the Flag of Iron is uh, a little bit less of a thing. It's okay. You know, kind of a classic period, uh, quintessential Hong Kong, um, uh, Chang Che movie. Chang Che, one of uh, Quentin Tarantino's favorites. Yeah. Uh, not one of Chang Che's best films. The, the fighting is great. The storytelling is a little bit uh, wobbly. It's it's sort of, you know, it's it's fights barely stitched together. Monkey Kung Fu. Beautiful costume design. That oh, so good. Uh, Cheng, you see, Cheng Che's movies are very, very opulent. That's the one thing you can say about them. Uh, Monkey Kung Fu, directed by John Law. Yeah, it's all right. Um, I, you know, I'll take any of the... Um, the only thing that's really interesting about this is the star is uh, Ching Su Tung. Ching Su Tung, as a star, not quite as impressive as a as he was later when he was a choreographer, as a fight choreographer. He did everything from you know Chinese Ghost Story and and uh, on and on and on. He's worked with Zhang Yimou. He's become you know one of the one of the huge ones. So Ching Su Tung, interesting only because you see him as an actor in this. Shaolin Mantis go from monkeys to mantis. This is okay. Um, this is all right. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's more about, you know, if you want to enjoy the, the style, uh, the story here is also a little bit wobbly, but, um, the, uh, the direction is tremendous of the fight stuff. Lau Carly Young, who's most famous for doing uh, a lot of classic films and then doing, you know, co-directing uh, drunken master two with Jack Chan and doing that amazing under the train fight scene between the two of them. They fought with their conflicting styles, but, you know, uh, he is the uh, the star director of this. 
Wonderful, wonderful stuff. Just not the best uh, story necessarily. Jimmy Wang Yu, who recently passed, very sad, mm. and the Chinese boxer. Uh, this is one of the films that he is best known for. He's really in his prime here. A lot of great extras on this thing. Um, beautiful, uh, beautiful, you know, um, audio commentary with uh, Sam Dian. Uh, really, uh, if you're a Jimmy Wang Yu fan, that one will really, really uh, scratch the itch. Human Lanterns. I guess it's kind of silly. Um, it's a, a little bit, little bit on the gory end. Uh, it's uh, not my favorite kind of uh, kung fu movie. It's sort of uh, more on the, the exploitation horror ghost kind of genre. I didn't think it was. Um, you know, some people like that genre better than others. It's not not really my favorite mm-hmm. um, movie. Hero is a little more recent. This is directed by Corey Yun. And uh, Corey Yun, who, of course, was one of uh, Jackie Chan's classmates and contemporaries, Corey Yun, who uh, would go on to choreograph and direct a lot of fine Jet Li movies. Very, very talented. Uh, You know, I think the... um, This is a more recent film. This is kind of a very late-stage Shaw Brothers movie. It doesn't feel like old Shaw Brothers. It's Mm. it's, uh, stars uh, uh, Yun Hua and Takeshi Kenshiro. Uh, but it's fine. It's sort of a more uh, in the vein of the, the you know the the '90s style of Shaw Brothers, which is not what people. It's sort of on the wane. Mm. Uh, Marshall Club is fine. More Gordon Liu. It's uh, kind of you know standard Shaolin Temple thing. Uh, doesn't really break any new ground. Just has really really great fight scenes and a lot of great great supplementary material in here. Audio commentary with uh, Frank Jang. Uh, there's a you know a lot of uh, featurettes on choreography. There's an a- interview with actor Johnny Wang, which is really really good. Um, and then there's an interview with the stuntman, which is which is pretty fun to watch too. So I I like the extras better than the movie per se on Marshall Club. Mm-hmm. And then lastly, I got to give a shout out to the Flying Guillotine Part Two. Okay. Now now the the master the original master of the Flying Guillotine on which I have done two audio commentaries. I did the, uh, the first release with uh, Andy Klein, the second one with Andy Klein and our good friend, Alex Liu. Um, those, those are still around somewhere and our audio commentaries rock. But um, this was the sequel. This is on Blu-ray. I hope they get the original and use our original commentaries. I don't know if that'll happen, but uh, the sequel is not nearly as good as the original. It's a little bit crazy. It's like the original had one flying guillotine. Now it's like it's like the difference between alien and aliens. Now everybody's got them. They're colliding in the air, and people are throwing these things around. Heads are being lopped off everywhere. A little bit over overkill, but still fun because I love the weapon. I think the weapon is cool. Yep. Uh, so, so there are some fun things on here. Um, there's an audio commentary with the uh, Mike Leader and Arnie Venema. And it's fine. It's not as good as what we would have done, I got to say. But uh, it's okay. You know, they, they get some of the details right. Fair enough. Uh, so there's that. Those are all the Shaw Brothers movies. Wicked, wicked, wicked. And then a few um, things here that, that really have to be mentioned from the um, film movement classics line. Talk about King Hu, Touch of Zen, not to be confused with Touch of Sin, uh, made an amazing movie uh, called Raining in the Mountain, which is not as famous as some of his other dragon in and, and uh, touch of Zen, but it's, it's still just beautifully mounted. It's so poetic. The production value is just so, so wonderful. Yeah. This was made in 1979 is one of his last films. Touch of Zen? No, which no, one? no, this one, uh, raining in the mountain. Oh, raining. Okay. Yeah. Raining in the mountain. Uh, it's a, it's, you know, it's just, a, it's just a, a, a um, 
it's one of these things like you got a monk who has to protect a scroll. It's the usual scenario. We, there's a lot of these in wuxia films, but uh, it really it, it's it's almost like a like a noir elevated to the level of poetry and uh, set against uh, you know period Chinese uh, backdrop. It's beautiful. Stanley Kwan's center stage with Maggie Chung, just priceless. Maggie Chung has yeah. never been more radiant or more luminous. This is a beautiful Blu-ray, wonderfully transferred. Um, great 4K restoration, 1991 film, right there in the in the pocket of the beginning of the Hong Kong New Wave, and uh, it's it's absolutely lush and beautiful and saturated with amazing color and costumes and and you know all this stuff. Uh, the story is a is a biopic about the the uh, uh, famous silent film actress uh, in China, and um, it, it's, it's quite a story. I mean, it's quite an amazing story. That early, and, that early nineties moment was a really, really great moment. Oh, for Chinese, Japanese, Chinese, Japanese, Hong Kong cinema. So good. As, as, as it played here in the United States, all that Wong Kar Lee, uh, uh Wong Kar Wei and, and uh, yeah. it was all sort of playing well here. Race, red, lantern, all of them. Yeah. You know, it's and, a great moment. Yes, it's a great moment. I mean, you moved right up through Crouching Tiger, you know, and just all kinds of stuff. And, and, and I don't know, it's I, I, it kind of seems to have waned, you know. Uh, all the talent came over here, didn't they had their moment, and then they went back. And when they went back, China had taken over in the Hong Kong industry, and the Chinese art house industry had largely disappeared. That's yeah. what happened. Yeah, yeah. Um, but speaking of Ang Lee came out of that same moment too. We've also got Ang Lee's pushing hands, also film movement classics. Pushing hands is an absolutely beautiful, uh, movie about a Tai Chi master who's just moved from Beijing to New York and, uh, sort of trying to deal with the culture clash there. Classic Ang Lee movie. Uh, just uh, so beautiful. Uh, this was his first film we should point out and you watch this and you go wow that's a first time filmmaker that guy's got it going on great discussion with it oh so good such a good movie uh and then the great taiwanese filmmaker tsai ming liang's viva l'amour was recently theatrically re-released uh it is now on blu-ray this is 1994 still in that pocket tim right in there um and this is this all takes place in a uh, an apartment in taipei and just deals with these these roommates and their, um, you know, their, um, the, the, the over, well, how should I put this? I don't want to call them roommates. There's a, there's a, um, there's a little, little bit of a, little bit of an, an interesting angle to this. So I won't, uh, I won't give it away, but it's a, it's, it's a lovely, lovely film. It's a wonderful character study. Um, also, really, really quickly, we've got a, a bunch from Wellgo, some very interesting action films. These are all almost all contemporary and uh, worth checking out to varying degrees. Escape from Mogadishu mm. feels a little exploitive, uh, and it is, uh, but, uh, you know, uh, it, it's interesting. The, the, the idea is that there's this, you know, when civil war takes place in Somalia, you've got some Korean diplomats who are caught in the lurch and they've got to somehow figure out how to, uh, you know, how to save themselves. Uh, I didn't like the fact that they're sort of taking advantage of a tragic period in Somali history to mount a a Korean action film. Mm. However, it's very well done. So if you can, yeah. The thing that they do is because you got the South Korean, North Korea, they have to work together. Yeah, from the embassy, they have the South Korean. So that's the thing they're doing. But you're right; the backdrop of that war in Somalia is like, 
hey guys, there's a war in Somalia. It, it, <laughs> so, it, it's, it's sort of taking advantage of the Somalis. And I, I, I have a hard time with that because that just so destroyed that country. Um, still on Korean film is a uh, film called Seal Bok, Project Clone. Korea keeps making these fascinating genre films. And um, this, you know, really kind of get, it pushes, stretches credibility. It's all about, uh, you know, having to, having to safely transport the world's first human clone uh, so that, you know, it, it's like, it's like any other movie where you got to transport something, whether it's nitroglycerin or, you know, uh, the nuclear secret weapons, papers or nuclear is, yeah. weapons, whatever. It's just in this case, uh, the guy's a clone. <laughs> and so, so, you know, it's, it's basically one of those movies. Uh, we've got Spirit Walker. Um, did you see Spirit Walker by chance? Uh, no, I don't remember that one. Yeah, this is this is also a Korean film. Uh, I, you know, I, I still don't quite know what I think about it. Um, it's an interesting premise, and the idea is this guy's been in a car crash and he's he's amnesiac, but he he switches bodies every twelve hours, and it's it's almost like. Um, there's a little memento quality to it. It's not told in reverse time, but the body switching part of it gives it a memento quality where this guy with amnesia has to try to, you know, it's an amnesia, still an amnesia thing like memento. Uh, mm. I mean, it, it feels like they're trying to out memento memento with a twist that doesn't, it doesn't quite earn, mm-hmm. but it's still interesting to watch. So I'm, I'm not, I, I still don't quite know what I think about it. I mean, it's mm. like, it's ambitious. It doesn't quite pull it off, but I, I kind of want to admire it at the same time. Uh, this new Ip Man movie, Ip Man, the awakening. It's terrible. Don't watch it. I'm sorry. I got to say it. It's terrible. That, that franchise has run its course. Uh, baby assassins is great. Two young girls lock and load, a lot of violence. Does it make sense? No, not really. (laughs) They, they, um, uh, you know, it's, I mean, these girls, they, they, they become teenage assassins and, and, uh, they, they, you know, go toe to toe with the, with the Yakuza. It's all right. I mean, it's uh, it's it's a lot of over the top fun. Yeah, cute, um, cute, cute, cute. And, and then Samurai Marathon. Um, boy, I just don't know what to make of this movie. I um, what's weird about this is that it was directed by uh, Bernard Rose. Oh, now yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, and as, and it's uh, uh, Candyman. Yeah, and it's weird in that why would he go and do a Japanese movie? Like, he, what what are you doing, Bernard? I mean, who also did Immortal Beloved, right, with yeah, Gary Oldman yeah, playing Beethoven? Yeah. You know, his trajectory is such an odd trajectory. Uh, so anyway, the the whole idea here is that you've got it's a samurai marathon. I mean, it's it takes place in feudal Japan. There's a there's a uh, a competition to win the daughter of the shogun. And um, they have to, you know, go and run themselves to death in order to do it. And then so they, you know, they wind up basically trying to kill each other along the way so that one of them can win the marathon. It's a pretty silly one-note thing. There's some great direction in it. Bernard Rose does direct it well. I just don't know what led him to do this movie. I would probably have preferred to see an Asian director do it. But, you know, good on him. He wanted to give it a shot. So, I mean, you know, there it is. And then uh, just a few other titles here really quickly. Um, We've got 2LDK, which is a Japanese movie by uh, Yukihiko Tsutsumi, which is uh, about these two actors in a, these two Tokyo actors who have, 
uh, a certain rivalry that uh, escalates beyond where a roommate rivalry should be. Two women with you know the same apartment, they're roommates, they like the same guy, and then things get out of hand. Mm-hmm. Um, does it work? Yeah, I don't know. It uh, feels like it wants to be a John Woo movie. Couldn't quite figure out how to get there. Uh, Japanese girl is what it is. It's kind of wacky. Yeah. Dr. Lamb, I absolutely hate, but a lot of people love it. Uh, this is a uh, Category 3 film from Hong Kong. It's one of the more famous and deeply, deeply disturbed Category 3 films. Uh, uh, Art Edinger, Edinger does the uh, the uh, commentary. Uh, it comes from, a, I guess, a website called Ultraviolent, and that is appropriate. Mm-hmm. This movie is way too gory and slaughtery for me. I, oh, yeah. I, some people like it. I just can't get into it. But, you know, uh, I want to let you know it's at least there. Uh, let me, I'll just name the remaining films here so that we can move on. The, um, there's two films in the basher box. That's the awakened punch and the prodigal boxer. Those are together, uh, from VCI in a double feature. We also have a writer's odyssey, which is a nice kind of wuxia genre film. Some pretty good effects in this thing. It's a little bit, a little bit over the top, but it's, uh, it's, it's, it's entertaining. Uh, Kyoshi Kurosawa made Wife of a Spy. It is not a, a um, is not his typical ghost film. It's actually uh, a wonderful, wonderful drama, and it, it really uh, pushes the envelope on what he normally does. This thing won the Silver Lion at the Venice Film Festival, and uh, I don't know why it didn't get a better release in the United States. But Wife of a Spy is is quite worth checking out. I uh, got a movie here called Signal, the movie Cold Case Investigation Unit. Um, kind of silly. Didn't really uh, get this. This is also a Japanese film. I kind of don't really uh, understand what it's trying to say. Uh, Fukushima 50 is a dramatization of the uh, the uh, nuclear power plant accident. Um, don't watch this back-to-back with... Uh, um, uh, the, uh, the, the Russian thing on HBO, um, oh, yeah. Chernobyl. Don't watch this back to back with Chernobyl. You will be so depressed. You want to kill yourself. Um, we got, uh, Berlin Alexander plots, the, uh, remake, which, um, I didn't think is all that good. I only mentioned, uh, I only mentioned this because it's, uh, directed by Borhan Kurbani and, um, it is otherwise a, a, a German film. And, uh, kind of, um, you know, it's not as good as the novel. It's not as good as the, the Fassbinder original. So I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't really, I wouldn't recommend it. It's unfortunate, but it's, you know, a film that's trying to be, it's trying to be cross-cultural in ways that it, it doesn't make sense for the material. I, it's a nice shot, but they try it. Korean film called Midnight. Uh, not bad. Not bad. Uh, you know, it's a serial killer movie with a few weird little twists to it, a deaf woman. And, and I, it's all right. It's genre. It kind of kind of works. And then three DVDs, not Blu-rays, but uh, Joe Odagiri, They Say Nothing Stays the Same. Um, Wei Shujun's Striding into the Wind, which was at the Cannes Film Festival. And then uh, Restart the Earth, which is an absolutely crazy movie by Lin Zheng Zhao, which nonetheless has really good production values and effects in its very bizarre post-apocalyptic scenario that makes no sense, but man, it takes you on a ride. So 
that's it for our Asian titles. Lots of great stuff out there. Uh, I continue to be very impressed with the production value that uh, comes out of Korea these days. Because yeah. that little yeah. country is just killing it. They, they're, they're pushing the envelope on all kinds of stuff. Yeah, and unlike uh, well, China, they managed to do it without engaging in a whole lot of pol- political stuff. It's they true. just make movies. Uh, some, of, some some of it's you know plenty of social commentary here and there, but it's not it, it's ne- not necessarily always poking at North Korea or for mm-hmm. that matter or Japan or China. But you know, as opposed to to some of the Chinese films that always have to find an enemy. Uh, in the West uh, or Hong Kong. Or They're very, very true. Hey, man, can we, can we do some criterions? Yeah, let's do those criterions. Jump yeah, into it. There are a couple that I want to talk about <clears throat> specifically, especially Bucket the Preacher. Yeah, right. I, 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 tell me what's on that. This is one of my, this is, this is, this is, this is a film that I really, really love. It's well, I, I've, I've, I've got to admit it. I've got, I've got, I want to know your thoughts on this because this, this is such a fascinating movie because this comes right in the middle of the black exploitation moment. Mm-hmm. It's right there in that, in that 1972, in that shaft black Caesar dolomite window. It's just right in that pocket, but that's not what this movie is. And it paired the two most seminal figures of breaking down racial barriers in movies of that moment. You've got Sidney Poitier, and Harry Belafonte in a movie together, a Western of all things. Mm-hmm. And it's such an interesting movie and, and more than most significantly directed by Sidney Poitier. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, with a with a, with a, with an uncredited uh, situation for Joseph Sargent there, but directed by Sidney Poitier, his ostensibly his, his directorial debut. And yeah, so all these black, in 1972, all these black exploiters, Shaft, Superfly, the whole shebang going on here. And, and people look at this movie and they say, oh, well, Sydney and Harry are, are out of step. No, you gotta watch the movie. Sidney Portier and Harry Belafonte, Buck and the Preacher. Sidney's Buck, Harry's the Preacher. Harry's a con man preacher. He's not really a preacher at all, but he wears his collar and he has his, his Bible. And inside the Bible, it has a cutout where he keeps his gun. <laughs> and he's fast talking and slick uh, with that bowler on. And and Buck is a wagon master, a black wagon master, and 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 and, and, they, and, and a veteran who fought in the Union Army uh, to help free slaves. And what he's doing is leading a wagon train of freed African-Americans, former enslaved people, out west to stake a claim and build their own community. If this is not the most black empowering thing that was going on in cinema uh, uh, in 1972, I don't know what was. And, and I, and I got to tell you, I read it that way in 1972. My uncle took me to see this movie when I was 11. I was 11 in 1972. And I read it that way. I, I, I saw what was going on in this movie and, and, and how they had to overcome, uh, you know, all of, all of the stuff that were, they would labor, all kinds of stuff that they were dealing with as, as they, the Native Americans came to their aid and, and they brought it together. Dude, this, this movie was blacker than blacker than blacker than black. And, and certainly in, in many, many ways, much more invested in the black community than, say, a film like Superfly. Uh, as as my mother would have pointed out, uh, you know, you know, pimps, drug dealers, a lot of hoes, <laughs> and Superfly. These were black people uh, fighting their way out west, being led by a black man and even uh, a, a shady black man uh, to their freedom. Uh, of course, it's, it's 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 a black film. It's fantastic. So, and and I find that fascinating. I always go back to that that uh, that two sided piece that you and I did. 
Oh, yeah. you, know. Um, <laughs> you know, white view, black view, and black exploitation. Because here's what here's what always strikes me about this movie. Because I come I come at it obviously a little bit differently. Which is, um, I love black exploitation movies, but I'm very aware of the fact that the genre itself, as it evolved, both in the commercial sense and in the you know and in the indie sense, everything from Shaft all the way down to Superfly to you know Dolomite and everything else in between, Black Caesar Coffee. We could go on and on and on. But it's all about where was that community then mm-hmm. and how the, and how these people are making a place for them in the society right then in the 1970s because there had not been a place for them before. What Sidney Poitier is saying here is, no, there was a place for us before. There are positive aspects to the history. There are moments of pride and dignity in the past of, of great reverence and stature. And, and he wanted to tell that story. He wanted to find something in the past with which to anchor the present. That I think was the first time anyone had tried to do that. And, and I think it is also significant that both of these stars, Sidney Poitier and Harry Belafonte have Caribbean roots. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I think that, that something about their Caribbean roots gave them a, a kind of a kind of pride that that they were able to bring as immigrants as well, if that makes sense. Would you agree? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Because neither one of them were directly from the enslaved African American lineage, right? Now, they, they, neither yes. one of these, these 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 great heroes of the civil rights era. Think of Dr. King and all the but they but they weren't directly from that lineage. The lineage that they were from was a different thing. Uh, 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 and, and, uh, and, and they always, and because of that, I believe they always envision themselves outside of those, uh, boundaries. Yeah. Uh, they, they, or they didn't envision themselves any, within any boundaries in the first place. Sidney Poitier and Harry Belafonte engaged the, the uh, acting, their acting careers on a trajectory to be movie stars. They always did. They, 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 you, they came up and did whatever they do, but they were always on, inside their own minds and they projected movie star, which is what they became because they never thought of themselves as anything else. Well, there is some wonderful stuff in the extras here. There's behind the scenes footage um, of the two of them on the film. There are interviews, original interviews from 1972 episodes of both, Soul and the Dick Cavett show. The Dick Cavett show is just absolutely oh, great. Wow, and there's man. a brand new interview with uh, with Gina Belafonte, Harry's daughter, which which is just lovely. So I mean, this is uh, you know this is a, a a great criterion, a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful entry, and uh, I'm thrilled that it's out. Um, I'm also thrilled if I could just uh, jump in here with a couple of these real fast. Mm-hmm. David Lean's Summertime finally out in the Criterion. We've been waiting for this forever. Uh, this is, uh, there's not a ton of extras on this. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a 4k restoration, but the Blu-ray, they, they didn't go the full 4k on it. I wish they had new, a uh, new interview with film historian, Melanie Williams, uh, an interview with David Lean from 1963 and then audio excerpts from, with the cinematographer, uh, Jack Hildyard's interview in 1988. That's pretty much it. But the film is significant for a number of reasons. Uh, Catherine Hepper and David Lean became lifelong friends. While making this movie in Venice, this was the first location film that David Lean ever made. It was only his second in color, and it changed his filmmaking. This dovetailed directly into Bridge in the River Kwai. Without Summertime in Venice, there is no Bridge in the River Kwai being shot in Sri Lanka. And uh, Summertime is really where 
the later stage of David Lean begins. Everything pre-summertime is one thing. Everything from summertime all the way to passage to India is another. Also, the scene in this movie where Catherine Hepburn takes a spill into the Venice canals, she came out with a viral infection that stuck with her the rest of her life, and she, and she always blamed David Lean for it. Never let him live it down. Uh, Raging Bull is out in 4K. Oh, my goodness gracious, does this look unbelievable. Uh, we, uh, we lost Michael Chapman, the cinematographer, not too long ago, but his work lives on, and it is just, apart from those Super 8, color sections this yeah. movie is entirely in black and white and glorious black and white i don't know what else i can say about raging bull considered one of the greatest films ever made comes just piled on with extras i'm not even going to get into it if you don't own 4k raging bull you, you don't you, you shouldn't even be listening to this show yeah well the thing that i always like to talk about when i talk about raging bull obviously that cinematography and uh and 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 you know robert de niro engaging in you know one of the one of the first guys to, to engage in that that act of a uh, physical yeah. metamorphosis gaining the weight losing the weight i wish uh, he hadn't done that but, yeah that yeah. was it was, was a terrible bad idea but you know there's a result here because you know there's a that that's all robert de niro and of course marty uh changing the way boxing was shot yeah. By taking that camera into the ring and, and, and adopting all kinds of points of views and perspectives. And then, uh, so, so that visually and then orally, uh, again, showing us how to, how to create sound is layering that sound for those fight scenes, uh, as, as, as he and his team did, yeah. uh, was, 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 was brilliant there. So a whole lot of technical innovation, uh, going on in Raging Bull as well as just, you know, damn good movie. Uh, Tim, I know what else you're going to talk about. Which book? Devil in Blue Dress? It is. Carl Franklin. We, we, saw, we saw this together. I remember us at yeah. this screening. I remember we were sitting at that screening. And I was, yeah, I was, it was just so great. That was a ridiculous. Malta read all those books. And we saw this. And Carl Franklin was just at the top of his game. Uh, what, 95-ish or something like that, if I'm not mistaken, right? Something in 1995, like sure is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Denzel Washington, Jeff Rebillis, wonderful adaptation of the book. And 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 and, and, and I got to tell you, the, the the thing in this movie, love Denzel, love everybody, great movie. And this is a 4K, by the way. This ain't just a Blu-ray. There's a 4K, and man, does it look good. It just, it just sizzles. And the sound is, the, it's the ambient sound, the sound design for this movie. Oh, is the yeah. thing that I appreciate more now than I did yeah. then because it, yeah. it really is. It, it, it's like it just immerses you in the in the I mean, it, the tires on the on the pavement and, you know, keys in the door and like everything is just really it almost gets under your skin. Right. You know, yeah. you're 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 right. You're you're right in the thick of it. I mean, Franklin really, really works it and all that stuff. 4K sound picture. Fantastic. Carry on. That's great. What is what 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 uh, any 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 uh, 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 extra? Yeah, there's a lot of stuff on here. So Franklin does an audio commentary, which is really, really interesting. He's unlike many. He talks all about his uh, his, his filmmaking and gets right into it. Um, we forget this is the movie that gave us Don Cheadle. As mm-hmm. Mouse, as I Mouse, mean, and and I remember you and I were were laughing our heads off when Mouse shoots that guy. I just, <laughs> I, 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 I was in tears. It was just so oh funny. Oh yeah, well, damn it, easy. If you didn't want him killed, why'd you I, leave him with me? <laughs> so funny, so hilarious. I mean, so good. That was that was that was a star making moment. Not yeah. even just the performance. That moment, that line. That's when Don Cheadle became a star. 
right what? there in that moment because he upstaged Denzel Washington. Yeah, yeah. And, and good, on, like, and good, and good on Denzel for letting him have it. Absolutely. You know, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, the man so the got a comment, got a, got a conversation with uh, Franklin and Cheadle on here. Um, there's actually a conversation um, with Mosley and screenwriter uh, Attica Locke, which is mm-hmm. very, very interesting. And then there's an onstage conversation between Franklin and uh, film historian Eddie Muller, which was recorded just a few years ago at the Noir City Film Festival in Chicago. I don't know why Carl Franklin isn't doing more big movies like this, because he Mm -hmm. should, because he is still, I mean, you listen to that interview and you're like, wow, the dude's still got it going on. So, uh, yeah, 4K, beautiful 4K of that thing. Incredibly well shot film. I mean, just wonderful modern noir. Fantastic. We've also got, uh, speaking of noir, Marcel Carnet's French noir, Hotel Mm -hmm. du Nord, which uh, is from 1938. A, um, you know, uh, just a great, moody, um, uh, pre-Melville, pre-French New Wave uh, film. Marcel Carnet, one of my all-time favorite directors, Children of Paradise, an amazing epic. Hotel du Nord, totally different kind of a film. And it just, it's saturated with mood and wonderful performances. And, uh, you know, it's just so ahead of its time. 1938, uh, on the eve of World War II and the invasion of France. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's an absolute masterpiece. Yeah. Again, not a ton of extras on here, but there is a wonderful new conversation with um, uh, Philippe Morrison, journalist, and the great Jean-Pierre Jeunet. And, yeah, I mean, uh, talk and about talk about more yeah, black and white photography. I mean, black oh. and white because of the necessity of black and white, but nevertheless, beautifully done black and white photography. We, you know, let's talk for a second about Drive My Car, which won our uh, won all the critics' best picture uh, awards last year. I mean, it, uh, it just, just swept them straight through. Didn't yeah. you know? Got a bunch of Oscar nominations, didn't win any. But uh, boy, what a what a what a, what a fascinating movie. I'm less of a fan of it than you are. I'm more kind of intrigued by it. I think it's too long. A movie about, you know, a Japanese movie about, you know, people driving around and Chekhov that takes three hours to, to unveil. Not what I would have done. But nonetheless, tell people why this is an important movie. Well, it, it certainly is a, a real uh, Hamaguchi. Uh, and in Akavanya plays a a big a big role in the movie. You have this 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 this, this Japanese director. He has this red sob, uh, and he's and he's going off to do uh, a production of this of this Akavanya. And he has to have a driver. It's some sort of a whole bunch of rules and everything. And this young woman becomes his driver, driving his old red sob. And uh, all kinds of things happen during uh, this film as they begin the rehearsals of this play. But I have to tell you, some of these in this very long. Very quiet, very slow movie where we are very often simply watching this red sob roam throughout all these long highways and vistas. Uh, and I, I got to tell you, it was a while into the movie before I realized it. Whenever we saw that red sob, it was the only red thing. <laughs> uh, and, it, and I was a bit before I realized, wait a minute. Uh, and I'm like, you know, and, and I know that you can pull that off in a whole bunch of different ways now. But it was it was when I realized it, 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 it struck me as very clever. Anyway, um, I, 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 I really deeply, deeply appreciated this film. I'll tell you this, though. You do have to you have to know the checkoff. You have to be into the checkoff, the Uncle Vanya. And, and, and this settles into you much, much deeper. Uh, but, you know. I don't think I needed the three hours either. Uh, when, yeah. You know, I, yeah. So, so, so duration, length, all of that is based on the short story. But, but I don't think I needed that either. Well, um, you can you, you convince me to watch it again. I'll carve out three hours sometime next week. 
and do it. Uh, there's a new interview with Hamaguchi. Uh, there's a, a bit on here on the making of the film and the press conference from the Cannes Film Festival. Um, Bong Joon-ho, who, of course, famously uh, became the first Korean director, the first director of a foreign language film to win Best Picture and Best Director with Parasite, previously kind of stormed onto the scene with uh, Okja. And we got a 4K release of Okja. I don't need, I don't know that I needed Okja in 4K, but apparently somebody did. He did this uh, five years ago in 2017. Um, Everybody is in this movie. I mean, it's weird. Paul Dano and Tilda Swinton and Jake Gyllenhaal and and Stephen Yeun, of course. Um, And of course, gigantic animated, whatever the hell that thing is. It's a giant big, big monster and yeah. and it's and, and i and i don't need to see that thing in 4k kind of kind of don't need it in in high def kind of don't even want to see it at all i'm not a huge fan of this movie i'll be honest i think it's weird and kind of you know obnoxious but man a lot of people love it and bong joon ho great director look i love you know a lot of his other movies i love parasite and I mm-hmm. uh, yeah. love love the love the train movie, but uh, this one doesn't really uh, didn't really work for me. Did Okja work for you? I'm sure he's speaking about something to somebody, but it all eluded me. It all eluded me, uh, no. and so so no. But you know, Snow the uh, host, the Snow Piercer, a lot of good a lot of good stuff there. But no, this one eluded me as well. Got to, got to, got a couple of weird ones here. I I can't say that I'm a fan, but I'm gonna I'm gonna make quick mention. Uh, Frownland is a uh, director-approved movie by Ronald Brownstein. Uh, you know, uh, this is a very strange movie from 2007. I don't know why this made its way into the Criterion Collection. It's a, I'm not, I'm not, I mean, I guess I do know. The Safdie brothers are, are kind of a champion of this, and that gets into the other film as well. Um uh, Frownland is like this weird kind of underground uh, grunge movie from you know the the fringes of the New York indie art scene, and um, it's a it's a little it, it has that kind of snuff movie feel to it. Um, it's about a slacker and a real self destructive kind of outcast guy named Keith. Uh, I it, it's. It's it's well done, but it's just it it might it makes uh, mumblecore look like Lawrence of Arabia. Let's put it that way. <laughs> and the other Safdie movie here is uh, Daddy Long Legs, not to be confused with the Fred Astaire movie. Um, this is from two thousand nine, and I guess what we're doing here with these two movies is sort of getting into the, is, is introducing people to where the Safdies came from, so that you know the. The Adam Sandler movie, uh, Uncut Gems, like suddenly now makes sense and we can sort of have some sense of their body of work. Um, I, I, uh, you know, their, their, their filmmaking still doesn't go down easily with me. Um, Bronstein, the guy who did Frownland here is an actor and he plays a, uh, uh, a, a very, Oh, let's say he plays uh, the last projectionist that you would ever want actually being a projectionist. <laughs> Lenny, yeah. Right. And it's, and again, it's, it's, it's about lives coming apart and, you know, people alienated in the world. And it really pushes a lot of buttons that I don't necessarily want pushed. However, you know what? These guys, they, they have a style and they, they know how to push, uh, push people's buttons and to really, you know, trigger some very difficult emotions. Yeah, yeah. Well, I didn't buy. I didn't buy any of this shit. I didn't buy any of this shit in this movie. Yeah, uh, I'm not, not, not inviting these people. I'm inviting these characters. And, and and the thing of it is, 
to the extent that there, that, it, that any of it uh, does did resonate, I mean, it was all derivative of, 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 as you mentioned, that whole mumblecore period from the early yeah. '90s. And I mean, you know, uh, look, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, we've done all this crap already uh, in, 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 in filmmaking. You know, when you take your two dollars and you're in your flashlight, and you go out and you make. <laughs> about some goofy father and you know who's you know quirky and everybody everybody in the movie's quirky really everybody everybody in the movie's quirky all the kids are quirky dad's quirky everybody we meet is quirky <laughs> you know, it's not just a regular person all walking around doing something everybody no man i just you know i'm sorry i just i just i find i find that irritating yeah uh, because it does not represent the, the thing that it intends to represent, which is just real sort of moment of reality with regular people and all of this. No, this is a bunch of made up people. Uh, they don't exist. And if they do, they would be a bunch of people that I didn't like and wouldn't want to hang around with. So, all right. I, I ranted about that for a moment. That's all good. And lastly, we've got a couple of criterions directed by women separated by a couple of decades. But I think both of them really, really worth talking about. Um, first is Sofia Coppola's, uh, debut film, The Virgin Suicides yeah. in a 4k UHD set that is sublime. Uh, I was not a huge fan of The Virgin Suicides at the time. I was a little bit, you know, kind of checked out on whether or not I thought Sofia Coppola was going to be a real director. Thought, okay, is there a little nepotism going on? It's a little overly stylized. She's put, she's trying a little too hard to show that she's daddy's girl, but you know what? I'll tell you something. In hindsight, without all, now that I've erased all of those biases, now that I've mm-hmm. seen her other movies, now that I fell in love with The Lost in Translation and, and everything, and now that I get where she's coming from, now that I actually uh, passed her on the street in Paris once by sheer coincidence, uh, which was really weird, she's pushing a baby carriage and we're walking the other way getting ice cream. But, I mean, imagine you're in Paris, you're going down a random street and Sofia Coppola's pushing a baby carriage the other direction. You feel like you're on candid camera. It's a weird thing. But revisiting this film, I'll tell you, it's a lot more than than what I thought was going on at the time. And I do admit I was wrong. And I think The Virgin Suicides is a much, much more intelligent and grown up film um, than I than I knew. And I had never read the novel. So I, I really think this is I think Kirsten Dunst is, tre- is tremendous in it. I think it's a very solid film. And the 4K is magnificent. Yeah, yeah, Jeffrey. You, you, I will say that Eugenides. It, it, it's um, it's an accomplished film, uh, um, certainly. But but I am impressed with all of the actual, real, true talent that came out of this film. Josh Arnett and 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 and, 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 and just a whole mess of young at Jonathan Tucker. Oh yeah, Hayden Christensen. It's just a whole mess of young. And not to mention, you know, actually, you know, Kirsten and all the all those young women. Who came out of this movie and uh, and have had uh, careers since then, along with Sophia, who also turned out to be the real thing. And then the last film is Faya Dai from uh, just last year, which I'm afraid a lot of people didn't see, and they should have seen because of the the because um, of the obviously the, the the pandemic. But I'm thrilled that Criterion uh, saw fit to shine a spotlight on this. The the woman who directed this, uh, Jessica Bashir is such a talent and I, and I, and I can't say enough about it. Um, Jessica Bashir is, uh, is considered a Mexican Ethiopian filmmaker. Mm. And, and, and that should make people go, Oh, really? Oh, that's interesting. Mexican Ethiopian. How's that work out? Born in Mexico, born in Mexico. That's it. But what a, what an amazing poetic documentary look at, at an unusual subject. She and, you know, Ethiopia is being torn apart right now. There's a there's basically a civil war in Ethiopia that nobody's paying attention to a, more devastating than, than Ukraine. Um, 
what's happening in the Tigray region, which is one of the oldest and, and most sacred parts uh, of the planet. Tigray has monasteries and these, you know, way up in these high, high mountains uh, in the desert. Um, it's, it's a tragic, tragic thing that's happening. And, and she shines a light, not on that, but on the, on the use of hot, which is this psychotropic drug that is mostly used in the southern part of the Saudi Arabian Peninsula. But it's also used throughout Ethiopia as kind of a religious drug. It's a little bit like the way that Native Americans will use peyote. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, uh, it's really, really fascinating. It's just why would you choose that subject and shoot it in this way? And yet um, beautifully, beautifully uh, photographed. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the black and white, black and white again. Yeah. is so gorgeous here. It is so beautiful. It's such a powerful film. It's such a wonderful look at, at an unusual aspect of a, a little-known culture, and uh, I, I, I feel like I've just witnessed uh, the birth of an incredible new talent. So, Jessica Bashir, keep your eye on her. This is a major, major talent. She's going to be very, very interesting to see. Also includes three short films on here from 2016 and 17 uh, with her introduction. And uh, and then she and poet Ladan Osman do a uh, selected scene commentary. But what a what a beautiful, wonderful movie. Faya Dayi, F-A-Y-A, D-A-Y-I. Um, I'd say one of the most interesting films from Criterion this week. Really? Uh, Tim, we're next. We got, we got 4K, Arrow, TV. Let's pop over the 4K because at the top of oh, yeah. I see I see Angel Heart. Oh my gosh! Uh, yeah. Oh my gosh! Um, who we lost not too terribly long ago, maybe a couple of years ago. Now we lost Alan, uh, Mickey Rourke, De Niro again, and, and uh, young Lisa Bonet in a very uh, you know auspicious uh, debut uh, <laughs> that, that, that uh, people won't remember. But uh, Lisa Bonet was on the Cosby Show. Uh, yeah. The, you know, all that kind of stuff and who's in this film. It says some, you know, some sexy nude scenes in this film and everybody went bananas in 1987 that the daughter from the Cosby show yeah. is naked in this movie. She's amazing in this movie. And this is, and, and this is a very strong sort of, you know, supernatural uh, uh, thriller from, uh, from Alan Parker. Also looks great. Lisa, Lisa Bonet, also Zoe Kravitz mom for yeah. people who might be uh, of a certain Zoe, age. Zoe older now than Lisa was when she started this film. Isn't that weird? That's isn't it, weird. Isn't it crazy as hell? Yeah, there it is. I, I love this movie. I love all Alan Parker movies. I've never seen one I didn't love. Uh, I will stand up for it until my dying day. This is a Steelbook Best Buy exclusive. You will not find it anywhere else. We got them to send us one. It's a gorgeous 4K, fantastic artwork on the uh, on the top of the Steelbook. Um, I, uh, this, this movie, you know, kind of came on the heels of... Uh, of uh, Birdie, which I yeah. you know got the runner-up award at the Cannes Film Festival. I was a big fan of Birdie, and then uh, this came out and just blew my mind. It is it is bewitching, literally and figuratively, and is visually so intoxicating. Some people had some problems with it, but they're just weenies. I love the commentary on here with Alan Parker, which he recorded obviously you know before he passed. Um, there's uh, there's an excerpt from. Um, uh, cineaste des années uh, 80, meaning it's a, like a French TV show. There's an interview excerpt with uh, Alan Parker, which is very interesting. We would otherwise never see it here. And then a lot of uh, behind the scenes stuff, including a thing that talks about voodoo in a very serious way, which the movie does as well. Um, uh, I, I just, I think the world of this, I think the 4K looks gorgeous. I think the audio is gorgeous. And I, I will say the only thing that really ticks me off about this movie was that it was censored. It was originally rated NC-17, and they had to cut like two seconds of Mickey Rourke from the sex scene of Mickey Rourke's gyrating buttocks. 
That was the difference between NC-17 and R. Now, uh, I, I mean, people, seriously. I mean, look. Uh, really? Seriously? That, that was, that's the difference? It's nonsense. I mean, it's total nonsense. It's like, well, the difference between a movie that's appropriate for a 17-year-old and, or, you know, to see with their parents and one movie can't is, uh, is Mickey Rourke's uh, uh, Bare Bottoms. Yeah. What? Yeah. Come on. I, I wonder what, 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 what created that? What, oh, uh, Henry and June created is yeah. the movie for which they created the NC-17. That's right. And I think, it was, I think it was Uma Thurman's boobies uh, that got that. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah something like that. Yeah, you know, that's, like pissed, that. that's, that's pissed me off for 30 years. Uh, Event Horizon, uh, Paul W.S. Anderson movie. What I liked about this movie, and not many people liked this movie, but I actually did, horror movie on a spaceship, basically. It's, you know, aliens would go some, some crap like that, is Lawrence Fishburne. Uh, right. Lawrence Fishburne is in this movie. When Lawrence Fishburne, you know, still, this is uh, this is ninety seven. He's and and he looks great. He's the hero of the movie. He's this badass captain on this nutty horror spaceship as they go around the event horizon. A whole bunch of stuff. That movie makes no sense whatsoever. And uh, Sam Neill and Kathleen Quinn. But but Lawrence Fishburne is fantastic in this movie, and I really loved him. Uh, and it's a, I, I I think and I think it's up there with I don't know movies like Virus and you know it is yeah came out at the time that probably that didn't get as much recognition as it ought to have. Sean. It is a it is a top tier alien knockoff. Uh, yeah. As as is if we could segue to the to this next 4K title as is Species. Yeah, exactly. uh, which which is also out now in 4K, and uh, I don't think species. I think species is a little a little cheesier than Event Horizon, but it's a top tier alien knockoff, and it's made, and, well made because it's Roger Donaldson. Yeah, yeah. And Roger Donaldson died recently, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, Maybe I oh, we yeah. lost so many of them. It's so so sad. But uh, yeah, I, I you know the, what I remember from this is that the the creature, um, of course, takes the form of uh, Natasha Henstridge. In the topless, when in, in the nude, when you first see her, and I, you know, I was expecting a movie about a like a, a creepy killer alien HR Giger thing, and then you know, uh, instead of the alien, we get Natasha Henstridge without clothes, and I remember thinking, oh, that's new. I think <laughs> I, I think I, I approve think, of that. I think you found a hook there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Otherwise, you know, she's basically just a, a more attractive version of the alien. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, they've done, put this out on 4k right now from scream factory and a ton of extras because people at shout factory scream factory understand that, you know, this is for fans and for, for genre fans, audio commentary with Nata uh, Natasha Henstridge and Michael Madsen and Roger Donaldson, which was recorded years ago. Another one with Donaldson and, uh, his visual and makeup effects people and Frank Mancuso jr. The producer. And, uh, you know, then you got uh, two more discs, the, uh, the, the two Blu-rays, which have nothing but uh, extras on them. There's the, um, a 4K scan of the original camera negative on disc two, and then just other loads and loads and loads of uh, extras on uh, disc three, including a, a featurette on HR Geeker, of course, who, you know, participated in this as well. Mm -hmm. And uh, it, it's all, it's all, it's all good. It's all good. So, um you know, you get um, you get the Blu-ray of the original camera negative. You get the 4K of the original camera negative, and a ton of extras. And you're going to be very, very happy. Uh, Tim, you know what will not make me happy, and what I do not think is uh, is top tier Alien knockoff. Oh, no, oh, no. Um, is Jurassic World Dominion. Oh man! Oh man! Oh man! 
Now, <laughs> now I'm going to say this to be to be fair to everybody. First of all, a lot of people love this movie. Yeah. A lot of people love the whole Jurassic World thing, and we have a giveaway. So we are going to be giving away one 4K Jurassic World Dominion disc, and we need you to send us your um, emails with dinosaur in the subject line. Just send it to gods at digigods.com or gods at cinegods.com. Either one dinosaur in the subject line. And we need to have those by end of day on August 23rd, August 23rd. So hopefully you're going to listen to this podcast over the weekend. And uh, the next morning we will send uh, the, the very lucky winner, um, the uh, alert that they have won. And we're going to let, uh, let, you know, the people over at uh, the uh, studio know, and they'll send you a wonderful 4K Ultra HD of Jurassic World Dom- Dominion. That said, I, I, Tim, I'm sorry, I didn't like this movie. Oh, no, no, too much, too much. It's just, you know, and, and, and look, this movie, aside from doing that thing that they all have to do, you know, be bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. This one has to engage in the process of, you know, returning and remembering and reintroducing and, you know, all of the stuff that you do when you drag everybody from the movie from 30 years ago, not to mention everybody who, was, who ain't dead, who was, yeah. who was dead. Yeah. You know, and, and, and then the ones who are dead, you have to still acknowledge. You know, it's too bad such and such is dead. Or oh. you're, so, and I'm like, oh, and, and then, and then, and then, and then the stupid freaking dinosaurs. So, you know, no. I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be fair to people. You know, who who needed closure on this because you got two different casts. You got the Spielberg cast. You know, mm-hmm. Sam Neill and and um, you know, Lars oh, Dern, and then that is a whole mess up. Yeah, yeah, and then and then we needed to bring them together with the new cast and and somehow make it all you know fit together. And uh, and and the result is there's almost no room for anybody to do much of anything in this thing because you got to spend most of the movie running from dinosaurs. Yeah, yeah. So so there is that. I I was glad they brought Omar C back, who of yeah, course sure. in our in our, our Oscar shortlisted short. I'm very happy about that. But he doesn't have much to do either. Yeah. Um, well, they've got too much stuff to do to give anybody much to do. And and you know, uh, Chris Pratt is kind of. I mean, I like him. But isn't he basically doing his same character from Guardians of the Galaxy? Isn't he the same guy? Yeah, just without, you know. uh, (laughs) I don't know. Chris Pratt, I appreciate him, and I appreciate what he did with his body coming off of what is Parks and Wet. Yeah, yeah. And I appreciate what he did with his body. He said, you know what, I want to be a movie star. And he he did this thing with his body. We talked about the near gun, and he burned out every inch of, ounce of body fat and and been beefed up and, and got movies got a movie star body but chris pratt just does not imprint on me and if i'm looking at him i have to remember whether i'm looking at him or whether i'm looking at uh, chris evans or whether i'm looking at that third chris that i can't remember right now you know you know who, you know who else you know who else you confuse him with yeah uh you, you're gonna love this because i'm doing a segue here you also confuse him with channing tatum <laughs> there you go right yeah. and, and speaking of Channing Tatum and Sandra Bullock in the new 4k of the lost city you like oh, how yeah. I did that you like yeah, how I, how I, how I, yeah, thank you um boy I wanted to love this movie I wanted to love the lost city so much I wanted to love this movie so much because I love Sandra Bullock and I do yeah. like Channing Tatum and it looked so funny and Brad Pitt looked hilarious and I thought what a great premise for a movie it looks very it looks very romancing the stone. It looks yeah. it looks very African queen. 
you know, she's an author and, and, and she, and he's got to rescue her from the terrorists and the whole nonsense. And Brad Pitt shows up and, you know, he makes funny wisecracks. And I thought, boy, this looks so much fun. It's is not fun. Yeah. Uh, you know, Harry Potter's the bad, the big bad here. I just, I'm sorry. This just didn't work for me. And I feel terrible about it. There are moments. It's got some funny moments. Brad Pitt is very funny. Um, Sandra Bullock is occasionally uh, charming. Channing Tatum has a moment. Daniel Radcliffe is is you know he makes you forget for a second that he's um, that he's that he's Brad Pitt or that, he, that he's uh, Harry Potter. And Brad Pitt makes you you know happy that he's Brad Pitt. And I was even happy to see Divine Joy Randolph get a get a, a role following uh, Dolomite. You know mm-hmm. she's she's very she's charming in this thing and very funny and has all these great. She's the you know the 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 agent. She's Sandra Bullock's agent. She's got these great lines, these wonderful great lines. But you know what? Ultimately, it just kind of doesn't work. It just sort of uh, it goes to the motions. It never really makes you laugh as hard as you want. It never makes you feel romance as much as you want. It's very sad. Well, look, hey, what got me through this movie was uh, Sandra Bullock and that cute uh, fuchsia low cut thing she's wearing. And I'm I'm watching this movie basically so I can roll with Sandy in that little. Uh, outfit and I'm Sandy. <laughs> uh, thank you, baby, for holding it together for a brother. <laughs> I appreciate it. Sandy's fifty, uh, know, and she looks great in this movie. Sexy and funny, and the movie. I don't really remember what happens in the movie. <laughs> 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 you, but I know Sandy's got all that little outfit, and I love that. So uh, good enough. God told me to by Larry Cohen. As long as we're talking about uh, yeah, black exploitation, yeah. Larry Cohen directed a ton of black exploitation movies oh, and he all uh, a ton of exploitation movies. And this from Blue Underground. God told me to with Tony Lobianco and uh, Sandy Dennis, the beautiful, um, the beautiful Deborah Rafkin. Oh my gosh, yes, uh, yeah, and Richard Lynch being a creepy and weird as well. Uh, you know, Larry Cohen wrote, produced, and directed this. He was an exploitation maven and auteur. And this gets a 4K Ultra HD treatment, along with a warning. This film contains scenes of violence and intense horror. Now, that's a little bit of a, an exaggeration. There's <laughs> yeah, nothing here that it, 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 it's, it's not it's not that terrifying. No. But um, it, it, it is a little bit um, it is a, it, it, it's a little bit, uh, you know, given what's happened in the years since with shooters and spree shooters and, you know, school shootings there's there's something to this movie that feels uh, a little bit creepier than it did at the time. This is uh you know about a, a, basically a, a sniper in New York who takes out a bunch of pedestrians and um and then you know uh you've got another uh and then you've got like a dad who who blows away his family and then you got all these other things that happen like there there are these they're, they're, I think they're, they're, and then there's like the the St. Patrick's Day killing right there's this, mm-hmm. all this stuff all this stuff happens in in a uh, in a in a very strange vacuum, and the question is why? What's yeah. going on? And it then it takes this weird kind of um, sci-fi horror kind of sci-fi yeah. horror exorcisty omeny twist with Tony Lobianco, and um, it goes into you know crazy genre territory, Rosemary's Baby kind of territory. But until you get there, there is something about the violence, the, the, the sort of the normalization of urban violence that feels very now. And like Larry had his finger on the pulse of something without all the genre stuff, he was into something. Very visceral at the time. Very visceral at the time. Yep. 
Uh, super fast. Got a couple of other uh, 4Ks here before we get to the uh, the two biggies. We've got a an animated DC animated uh, DC oh, universe animated Lantern movie. Thing, yeah, Green Lantern, Beware My Power, uh, which is you know like all these animated ones is always really really great. I uh, I, I think this one's great. This is uh, John Stewart Green Lantern. Uh, who was originally supposed to be, for those who don't know, at the end of the uh, Justice League, the Zack Snyder Justice League, and they made him take that away because they're doing a, a you know a, a Green Lantern TV series and it was stealing their thunder. Mm-hmm. So in any case, I uh, I love John Stewart as as uh, Green Lantern. He's the most blue collar Green Lantern, and yeah. uh, this is this is pretty good. Um, you know, if you're not into Green Lantern lore, you probably won't like it. But I really, I thought that was cool. And then Dog Soldiers uh, in a 4K from Scream Factory and Shout Factory. Never expected this to to wind up in a in a 4K, but uh, I'm kind of glad it did. Um, it's a you know this is a um, it, it kind of I'm trying to think of what what genre this sort of belongs in because it's in the it's in that werewolf moment yeah. right uh it's kind of like a put, war film it's almost like alien in a certain ways the whole thing with the, uh, with these these soldiers in the mission and there's and then they, they, they turn into werewolves and i i i i i, I dug this film gave us some great people too you got sean pertwee in this film you got kevin mckid in this film uh you got liam cunningham in this film all these guys you know, sort of came up came out of this movie uh, I thought, and I always thought it was pretty good. Um, uh, uh, I, I did Neil, too. Neil, I did Neil, too. Neil, 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 somebody. Who, Neil Marshall. Neil, Neil Marshall, Marshall directed. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, who, who, you know, uh, his more recently directed uh, Game of Thrones episode. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I kind of put this in the same genre a little bit with um, The Keep, Michael Mann's The Keep, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. where you're, you're taking a, a, what seems to be a what would otherwise be a non-genre environment world war ii film or whatever it is and then you you kind of push it into and we we get a lot of weird ones like that i mean they're more they always come you know you're fighting nazis and then they turn out to be zombies or vampires or witches or whatever and uh you know that's been done to death but it's been it's very rarely been done well and this one this one does it quite and well this, is, this of course is still when the, the effects were, were were practical so all right on right on like Went back to you know American Werewolf style effects, not visual effects. Correct. So last three here. First, I want to just say 4K of Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar. I can't say enough about this movie. This is just one of the funniest films of the last 10, 12, 13 years. I mean, it's so beyond hysterical. I've raved about this before. There's a wonderful audio commentary on here uh, with, with the director and um, Annie Mumolo and uh, Kristen Wiig which is just perfectly fantastic. I, I think this film is so, so freaking hilarious and funny. Go watch it. It's like a uh, strange brew with women or something. It's just, it's just so funny. Um, Tim, let's, let's just uh, talk for a second about uh, everything everywhere all at once. The Michelle Yeoh film. Yeah. Which, yeah, I mean, this is on 4k and this movie just, it kind of, uh, it came from nowhere and it, and it became a real uh, kind of underground hit. Yeah, it's really interesting, and, and it just sort of popped up in, in, into a world where a lot of these themed uh, narratives uh, have been uh, in streaming services and other movies and all kinds of uh, Umbrella Academy and everything, every, where multiple dimensions, uh, 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 you know, Legion, all that kind of stuff, multiple dimensions. Uh, you, 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 Michelle Yeoh uh, is this immigrant Chinese woman, and it's, 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 she, she finds herself in all of these uh, worlds and universes with, throughout these connecting lives where she has all of these various different skills depending on uh, who she is but all of it is happening everywhere all at once Dan Kwan 
Daniel, it was Steinert, Steinert, right? Yeah. Uh, and it's, uh, it's very clever. It moves very, very fast. And what I love about it is that we're, you know, we get to see a lot of really wonderful, um, uh, um, uh, Asian American actors, some of them going way back. I think James Hong, like just yeah. this year or last year, maybe got his star on the walk of fame. Yeah. Uh, if I'm Finally. not mistaken. Uh, yeah, finally, for real. Right? He's like 100. I think he's literally 100, if I'm not mistaken. Do you think this is going to be in the mix for awards season? Will it you impress know, enough people? It's very, very, very popular. And certainly the folks over at the Indie Spirits and in and, and our group and the folks in our group uh, uh, are going to be talking about it. Uh, uh, the bigger awards, we'll have to see. We'll have to see. Uh, I'm, I'm going to uh, – and then our last 4K here is uh, Men in Black 25th Anniversary Edition, uh, which uh, does it hold up? Yeah, I think it does. And, and we've been talking about this because um, Day Shift is on uh, Netflix right now. You and I reviewed Day Shift, the new Jamie Foxx film, Vampire Slayer movie, which is absolutely terrific. And I don't know that there would be a Day Shift if we didn't have a Men in Black first. I feel like – like Day Shift borrows not just from Dust Till Dawn, but it borrows a lot from Men in Black and it borrows a lot from the John Wick movies. And I feel like Men in Black kind of paved the way a little bit. Do you agree? Oh yeah, the partnership thing that's going on between uh, you know the you know, Jamie and, uh, and and the other Franco kid uh, and, uh, and and Day Shift and the partnership thing that's going on here with Tommy and Will and all that kind of stuff. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. Barry Sons. Anything good on that? Uh, uh, yeah, mostly stuff that's been out before. Um, you know, the, the, the commentary with Barry Sonnenfeld and Tommy Lee Jones and, and another one with uh, Rick Baker and the uh, the ILM team. And it's, you know, it's stuff that we've had before, but it's 4K and there's the Movies Anywhere code and it's a steel book. So uh, there's all kinds of reasons to, uh, to pick it up. And again, you know, it's the part of the 4K appeal is, is the audio. The audio just, just rocks on this. Mm. So if you've got a state-of-the-art system, you're going to want to check that out. And what is that? Like? Um, that's, that's the 25 year. 25 year. I'm not going to. I'm not going to make you feel terrible about that. Okay, um, should we do a couple of new movies or some TV? What do you want to hit? Uh, let's do a couple of new movies. What do you got? Yeah, I mean, I, I want to talk about one movie here, White Elephant. Which oh. uh, I did you see White Elephant? Uh, I don't think I saw that. Which one was it? It's one of the. It's one of the last. Bruce Willis movies that's still oh, coming actually, out. I did see that. It came out before the news about Bruce. And yeah. Of, yeah. And it sort of really reshaped the way ones saw these movies. Yeah. Olga Kurilenko and John Malkovich and Michael Rooker in the sporting cast. Um, you know, I, it, it would be a, an easy thing to kind of try and dismiss. I mean, it's another one of these sort of standard action things, right? You know, uh, uh, Marine who becomes a, a hitman played by Michael Rooker and, you know, uh, Bruce Willis plays the, plays his mob boss. And, and, you know, you kind of want to roll your eyes and go, come on, Bruce, you know, but knowing what we now know in hindsight, having to make the movies earn the money, what he was suffering from, I can't criticize this. You look at it and he's just giving it 110%. He really yeah. is. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, it's, yeah, it's it's tough to watch. Um, Black Phone, I thought was was pretty interesting. Did you see Black Phone by Jeff? Yeah, I did. I, did. I, I see why yeah. the kids liked it. You know, I mean, I, it was very familiar to me, uh, uh, but I can I can see why it was very popular, and it, and it had a couple, couple of clever beats and a nice twist. I would agree with that. It's uh, another another Blumhouse correct calculation i i can't call it great but man blumhouse more than anything they've got their finger on the pulse i mm -hmm. would agree with that i don't i don't think it's a classic or anything but um 
you know, I, it, it sort of it sort of locks it down in a very interesting way. Scott Derrickson directed it, who did uh, Doctor Strange, mm-hmm. and did not do the Doctor Strange sequel, and uh, for all kinds of kind of crazy weird reasons but it's not uh, I, I get it um we got uh let's let me pull out reno 911 the hunt for QAnon. um I, i'm sorry i don't get the reno 911 thing can you can you explain it to me no <laughs> they've been around for almost 20 years now they pop up here and there with that whole sort of wacky uh you know reno sheriff's department thing with all these goofy people and some of them are fun look thomas lennon's funny guy i find a lot of these people sort of like funny Broadly speaking, Nisi Nash and Wendy, uh, Wendy uh, Clovey and all these people, Cedric, they're all funny, but, but contextualized here, these bits just never have. They live in that super troopers space. Yeah, I don't get that either. Uh, but I never got that either. I was, you took yeah. the words out of my mouth. Uh, I, can see, I can tell they're doing the same thing, but I, didn't, I don't care for it when anybody's doing it. So uh, somebody uh, obviously saw Panic Room with Jodie Foster from years ago and thought, "Oh, we can update that." So they made a movie. So they made a movie called "See for Me" with um, some kind of mid-level people that you, you've probably heard of before. Skylar Davenport, who is, is a good actress, she plays the lead in this. She's in a. She's subject to this home invasion robbery uh, while she's house sitting, and the, the twist here is that she uses an app. Mm-hmm. To fight them, and uh, she's blind. Yeah, and, and yeah, she well visually impaired. She's visually like she, impaired, yeah. yeah, she. There's there's a whole story about you know about that and the whole backstory. Like it gets into the what's the what's the Audrey Hepburn movie with Alan Arkin is the guy. Oh, uh, uh, dark near, near, near dark after dark. What is the stuff? Uh, afraid of the dark after dark. Near, yeah, whatever it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Afraid of the, yeah that one. It's it's sort of going for that a little bit too. You know that in Panic Room. Okay, fair enough. I get it. You know, I, I, I know how these things are constructed. But what happens is she uses this app, which um, connects to this woman played by Jessica Parker Kennedy, who is like an army vet. And they it, that connection through the app is how she's able to fight back. I mean, it's kind of clever. It's sort of gimmicky. It's generally well done. This is a Canadian indie um so you know canadian films always find interesting ways of cutting corners and this one does too pretty well done can't say it's great or anything but if you got nothing better to do you know it's it's not a bad film to watch yeah yeah uh let's see if there's anything else here real fast and oh oh uh let's do this and then switch to a little bit of television and try to knock some things out then close the show men uh, I, I did finally get to Men, the um, Alex Garland thing. Did you watch Men? Uh, if, I, if I'm thinking of the right one here, is that that nutty one with uh, Jesse Buckley and Rory Kinnear? And yep, that's the one. Yeah, that was that was the. Uh, well, it's certainly disturbing. Uh, yes, it's what it is with in, in some really interesting performances, but mostly it's just disturbing. Uh, I would I would say about this movie. Yeah, so I don't know. What did you think? I feel like Alex Garland, since uh, Ex Machina, Ex Machina, it yes, can't, Machina, quite, yeah, can't Machina. quite get the he can't quite get the groove. I feel like he should be making bigger, more interesting movies and more ambitious movies, and instead he's making like what was the one with the uh, with all the women and the what was that last thing? The women astronauts. Uh, oh, uh, 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 yeah, um, um, Annihilation. Annihilation. See, that didn't work for me either. Like the setup and the payoff were just totally disconnected. Um, and I kind of feel like the same thing here. I just, it's like, I get it. It's stylish and it's got some interesting things in it, but it just, and I love Jesse Buckley, but I, I, 
I don't know. I just didn't connect to it. For me, Alex, it was 28 days later and then ex, ex machine, ex machina. Yeah. I, he didn't yeah. ever let me go that adaptation of the Ishiguro, but you know, that was not, not about that either. Yeah. Um, so let's, let's wind up on uh, just some TV stuff real fast. Um, the 4400 complete the, the series, new, the new, the new 4400 series, which is a, a completely and totally disassociated, relatively speaking, from the 4400 series that ran from, I don't know, maybe the early 2000s through the middle 2000s, Billy Campbell and all those people, uh, 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 folks uh, plucked out of uh, uh, time and space uh, and, and, and returned. Well, this is, this, this, is, this, this is that original series. Oh, this is the original series? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We're talking about the new series. My bad. Oh, no. This is the original series. Well, I, just, so I just described the original series. Thing. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's all good. That's the thing. It's, it's the like thing because I prefer the original series to the to, to the new series. I much 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 more. I don't. Um, I don't know why there is a new one. I mean, uh, you know, the what's interesting to me is I look at this cast. I'm like, wow, they really all like, yeah, Billy Campbell, Mahershala Ali. Uh, they they all, you know, they're like this. Really broke a lot of really interesting talents, and uh, I think the talents are, are, you know, they they elevate the premise. If you if I could say that. Yeah, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. So that one, that that one actually works. Inter- interesting. The whole series. The whole series in a beautiful, beautiful Blu-ray box. Uh, we've also got Star Hunter Redux, the complete series. I had never even heard of this before it came. Uh, this is the collector's edition, and I guess you want to collect it because you've never heard of it. Um, there were 44 episodes of this series, mm. and uh, I this is from Shout Factory. I don't even know what network this ran on. I didn't. I didn't bother to, to do any research on that. Did you ever watch Star Hunter Redux? Don't know that one, baby. Yeah, this is a this is a, a Michael Pere series. Uh, and it takes place about 300 years in the future. And uh, it, it's, it's, it's kind of a futuristic Western. I, I don't want to say it's like, what's the, uh, what's the, uh, the, the other series, the, oh gosh, why can't I think of it? The, 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 the crazy spaceship and the. Oh, uh, the one with the, the, the came out of uh, Josh Whedon's. Uh, Josh Whedon's thing. Uh, what is that? Star, star, star flies, Firefly. 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 Hey, Firefly. See, you you know me. You, I, all I needed to go was that show, and you knew I was talking about <laughs> That's unfortunate. <laughs> so it's uh, this is kind of Firefly-ish. Um, uh, I, I'm surprised I hadn't heard of this because it ran like just a few years ago. It was 2017 and 18. But um, it's sort of uh, you know like like a western in the future. I want to say it's it's like a if you were to do a low budget series version that is a little bit like Outland, maybe is a better analogy. It's it's got all yeah. those kinds of things. Yeah. You feel like you feel like you're in the future, but it's a new frontier. It's not the last frontier. It's the new frontier. It's like the Western frontier. Michael Prey that hasn't been around a long time. He's really he's grizzled, and you know he's a bounty hunter, and, and that all that all is really fine and cool. I feel like they needed bigger budgets. I feel like they needed a Lost in Space budget to really really make this thing mm-hmm. sing. But it's not bad. It deserved better than than 44 episodes. I'll say that deserved better than 44 episodes. Um. Do I see Charm? Quest 2030? 
Yes, this is the original charm. charm. Let's just get this out of the way and then we'll do Sequest. Yeah, the original charm. You love this show. I'm I'm lukewarm on it, but talk about why we, we like this I, show. I, I, I always love the show. I even I even liked it as a sort of changed cast there a little bit after Shannon Darty left the show. I it, it's one of the, it's one of the early uh, uh women, girl, uh female empowerment shows. Nineteen ninety-eight, this show kicked off three sisters who when they come together, I think up in San Francisco, they they have the power of the three and it was always very funny and sexy and very sort of forward thinking and again this was a series between 98 and and uh what did it run until 2006 to just spit out a mm. whole crap load of actors that we've been watching frankly for years now <laughs> you know done on, on various different shows you know some of the uh, julian uh julian uh he did a more to nip tuck yeah, Ryan Krause, obviously yeah. Rose McGowan came into the show. There's so so many uh, folks who came uh, through that show uh, who uh, were just great. And uh, and I, Kaylee Kuko, believe it or not, did 22 episodes of this Charmed. Wow, there we yeah. go. So yes, Tim Sequest DSV, the complete series on Blu-ray. The late Roy okay. Scheider. I mean, I miss this show. And I don't think I gave it enough credit, and it only la- it just lasts a short time. I mean, it just no, went. Yeah, 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 it was right there. This was, um, this was a fun show. It was, uh, yeah, you know, it, it was, it was, it was uh, an outer space show, only not set in outer space, set under sea, the the other space, the the other unexplored. It was area. a cross between Star Trek and Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea. Of the sea, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, what it yeah. was. Fifty-seven episodes across like two and a half seasons. Uh, Roy Schneider was great as the captain. They just pulled the rug out from under this show before it had a chance to really mature. If this was today, in today's environment, this show would last 16 seasons. Yeah. It would. Yeah, and I, and again, walking around on the short-lived show, you got Don Franklin, you got Ted Ramey. Uh, Jonathan Brandeis, of course, uh, played the league, uh, the lead. Uh, uh, he, he lost him early uh, to suicide, unfortunately. Uh, but just all kinds of folks. Michael Ironside, you know, Rocky S. O'Bannon. Rocky S. Rocky, Rocky doesn't get as much credit as he ought to for some of the stuff that he that he did. So, yeah, love this show. 18 complete series on Blu-ray. Um, you know, it's interesting. I watched this. I was never a huge A-Team fan. The, I loved, you know, I loved everybody on it. Obviously, I, I, I have, you know, great admiration for for everybody except the crazy guy whose name I always forget, but Dirk That's Benedict, Dirk, from, Dirk, you know, Murdoch, Murdoch, yeah, that guy. I'm not a big fan, but you know, George Papard, yeah, I love, yeah, yeah apart from Mickey Rooney's character, I, I love uh, Breakfast at Tiffany's. Uh, Dirk <laughs> Benedict, I love Battlestar Galactica. Mister T, who doesn't love Rocky Three? Put him on the show. Somehow it didn't really work for me. And I think part of the problem was the van. They needed a cooler car. I wasn't into the van. The paint job didn't fool me. But it was flat black. It looked like it, it didn't. It didn't look like a um, a serial killer van, but it looked like a criminal's van. Yeah. If I see, if I'm a cop and I see that van, I'm pulling it over. But it's one of the great Stephen J. Cannell cre- uh, creations. That guy just had the touch of gold for a minute there, and uh, we we haven't seen one like him since. I got to be honest, except for maybe Dick Wolf, but he just does the same thing over and over again. Yeah, yeah. well, um, Stephen kind of did him and Frank Lupo. Okay. Yeah, knocking all those shows off. Yeah. Um, Handful, handful of quick shows. Just want to uh, plow through here before we get right to the very, very end. We've got two from the Arrowverse finally wrapping out. Uh, Batwoman, the third and final season, and uh, DC's Legends of Tomorrow, the seventh and merciful final season. It doesn't say merciful. I added that. Uh, 
You know, Batwoman, I'm going to say, I never really got, got onto the show. And when they lost, what's her face? Uh, uh, Ruby, Ruby Rose. Ruby Rose, yeah. When they the lost her. Javivica uh, Leslie, the black yeah. guy. Yeah, I just, I just I don't think this show ever really had its premise down. I don't think it was about the actress. I don't think it was even about the Arrowverse. I just don't think they ever really locked down the character. Even though it was crossover episodes with Ruby Rose, she never had anything to do. There was nothing yeah. for her to do. I didn't no. get it. No, um, no, 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 no. It, it, it was it was a bit of a mess from 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 the start um, because you know we're we're all the folks who we're messing with here was Batman's cousin. You yeah. know, and then, and then we got these people called the Crows, you know, Jacob Kane and all in and, and they're moving these characters and these names around. And and then we got this young uh, Luke Fox, you know, and, and stuff around. And, 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 you know, they just never could figure out. And then, and then Alice, who, of course, is supposed to be a sort of female version of the Joker, maybe a little touch of Harlequin. But basically, she's a female version of the Joker. Um, as the principal bad, you know, big bad, uh, yeah, and, and, and just really never her 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 her, her gigantic superpower uh, never really made any sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and, they, and they tried to bring in poison, poison ivy, and that didn't work. And then it's just then, of course, it went down with Ruby Rose and uh, Javivica. I, I appreciated her coming in, and they and they played all that stuff, and they figured out a way to make that uh, give her a legitimate reason to become Batwoman, and that was fine. But unfortunately, it was all still happening in the same show, um, and 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 Robin Givens couldn't save it, and and there it is, uh, Batwoman. <laughs> Got five more here. Um, NCIS, season 19. Why? I don't know. I love Mark Harmon, but 19 seasons of NCIS, I, I, I don't, I, I'm, I'm so done. I'm so done. Like five seasons of NCIS was done. How do you get 19 out of this show? Who's yeah, watching man. this after 19 seasons? Well, yeah, I guess people just, when they, when they dial into the NCIS they love, that's the one they love. New Orleans, yeah. Los Angeles. Uh, yeah, I guess, man. But, I mean, you know. Did it, you know it, there's an NCIS Sydney? I did not know that. I didn't know that either. I, I'm, I'm sure there's going to be like an NCIS Reykjavik at some part in point two. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't get it. But, uh, okay. So Legends of Tomorrow, um, seventh and merciful final season. I, I have really thoroughly enjoyed the uh, Arrowverse for the most part, but I think you and I were trading emails. I think this le- this last season of, of The Flash, I mean, I'm fighting my way through it. I really am. You've got to please tell me that the big bad is not just some really bad CGI black fire. There's got to be more to it, dude. <laughs> it's, it's, I can't. I oh. can't. I can't. I can't. Well, hey, hey, look, Legends of Tomorrow, they went through more casts on this show. Which is a problem. Uh, uh, you know, I think it's only one, maybe two, um, you know, actors who are who are holdover. Sarah, the character that plays Sarah, is probably the only holdover from the original cast. It's of the just show. unreal. As, as wow. it, just, it just sort of, it just sort of, it just sort of stumbled its way along. But you know, well, hey, there it is. This, this final season where they're caught in 1925 and it and it gets all kind of gangstery and uh, yeah, all right, I get it. Comes, uh, yeah, no, it, 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 it just nice. it's it's running on fumes. Um, uh, I'm glad it's done. Star Trek Lower Decks season two. I tried, it, dude. I've it. tried two seasons. I just, I it doesn't work for me. No, I don't want it. No, I, if I'm going to watch Star Trek in an animated form, I'll watch. What was that about the middle seventies? The filmation, the filmation show. Oh, yes, show. That's, that's the, the one. one that's the only one I need. Yeah. 
Um, the uh, the complete 24th season of South Park is out. I can't believe that Matt and Trey are still doing this every week. It's just, it's hilarious. Um, so this has two extended episodes on it. The Pandemic Special and the South Park, with capital Q, Vaccination Special. And they are so irreverent, they will make you feel so okay about the pandemic. They are really, really hilarious. If you buy this for no other reason than those two episodes, you're getting your money's worth. They are insanely funny. And then lastly, Tim, I want to talk about my new favorite show, The Gilded Age. Have you oh, watched yeah, The Gilded I Age? I have, I have, I have. Every, every, everybody's sort of raving about it. I, I appreciate it. I Maybe it's not fair. I don't know why. But, you know, I have to think about it in the context of uh, Bridgerton. Yes, uh, and, and and obviously other 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 su- such shows. I, I, I and I I think this one has rushed to the top of the list of my, um, you know, the hierarchy of of, of those shows. Uh, I love the cast. Uh, I, I, I like the way uh, they've insinuated uh, the 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 ethnic characters in the show while still letting them the, them live in the space that people um, um, of yeah. various different races lived in, in the time, as opposed to what they do in Bridgerton In, in Bridgerton, they just break them. The, they break the caste system here. There's still a caste system, but it's a, but it's, but it's a, but it's not, it's, what it is, you know, it's not oppressive. It, it, it's, it's, it's basically uh, Julian fellows taking the Downton Abbey formula and transplanting it to that moment in American history in New York, when the industrial revolution was changing our economy, changing our society, changing everything in the country. And it's known as the Gilded Age, obviously, rail barons and all that kind of stuff. But what he's done here, which is so fascinating, if you watch the featurettes on here, the featurettes uh, will will tell you that everything in here is fact-based. There were episodes where I would watch that and I'd go, yeah, that's kind of a stretch in the writing. I, I mean, they, you know, they kind of contrived that. And then there'll be a featurette that says, well, that actually really happened. <laughs> and you go, no way. Like, I love that because then you just acclimate yourself to the richness of history. And there are real like that, like the black guy who's the printer who's yeah. printing the, really existed. That's exactly. a real figure. He's a real figure. And and, you know, there are all of these real life, real life figures who are who are sort of transplanted in here and others are based on real life figures. And you really feel the richness of history. I, I particularly like the uh, the character uh, played by Carrie Coon. Mm-hmm. Because she reminds me of my wife. Uh, I'll say that straight up. I watch them like, damn, oh, you got them. You're, you own it. You own them. But what I like <laughs> is there are there are actually a whole lot of different social casts here. Mm-hmm. You, you've got the old money who frowns at the new money, even though new money is wealthier than old money. They look down on them. You've got the the like the lawyer guy who isn't old money or new money, but he's a social climber. He's not poor. He's not rich. He's the new middle class. And what is he willing to sacrifice in order to climb and become part of the upper class? You've got the working class who work in the basement, right? Who work who do the whole upstairs downstairs deal? Yeah. You and then of course you have the black family, which has mm-hmm. at least two casts as well. Yeah, her, she doesn't get along. Okay. She doesn't get along with her dad. Her dad is a business owner. He is a pharmacist, and she wants to be a journalist. And he frowns on that. I mean, all of these dynamics. I'm watching this, and it, and it strikes me this is about America becoming leaving the 19th century behind and becoming what it would be in the 20th century. Mm-hmm. And I think Fellows, as an outsider, as an Englishman, um, understands that maybe as an outsider better than we do, because I think this is a great show. Well, certainly, I, certainly he knows to look at it more closely. A lot of times when you're inside your own pot, 
you think you know everything. Uh, Julian is looking at this knowing very well he doesn't know everything. So he, so he looks at it all more closely. He knows to ask the question, what were the black people doing? Yeah, uh, you know, and uh, and and uh, which you know, and he did his research. Research. yeah, you know, and, and his research. And I think I think Nathan uh, Lane's character may be a real person too. And boy, do I love him! Mm-hmm. Oh, he is so entertaining. Um, so with that, show is over. Uh, we'll be back in probably two weeks. Uh, we've got uh, we've got to, got to get our get our our wind back under our sails. We are still planning on our new podcast with Mark. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we I think we've settled on a title. So, uh, you know, we're going to try to put the final apologies on that. We'll let everybody know how that spins out as we uh, as it evolves. But uh, in the meantime, hope everybody is uh, doing well. Have this have the summer of your lives and you're back to school, back to work, wherever you're going. And uh, we will see you in a couple of weeks. Mm.